come out. So he's ex- exercised his authority over demons. And he's also exercised his authority in teaching of the word. Uh, you'll remember a few weeks ago somebody said that uh, the people, the teachers of the law, uh, the people in, in attendance heard his teaching and said, what is this new teaching he teaches with such authority? Um, so, and, and I just want to paraphrase uh, the end of last week's uh, text because uh, it sets up this week's. So, and, and no, this is my paraphrased version. So Jesus heals this dude uh, with leprosy in Capernaum and told him to go tell the priests and offer sacrifices, but don't tell anyone else. Instead, the dude does just the opposite. He goes and tells everybody. And so what's happening here is he's telling everybody, everybody's getting excited about what Jesus is doing and is teaching and is casting out of demons and they're flocking to him. So Jesus has withdrawn from Capernaum and taken off to a, um, I don't know, a quiet place or somewhere. But people were still following. They still followed where he was at. But today uh, in, in chapter 2, we find out in the, in the very first part of that, uh, it says a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. So he's been away for a few days just uh, regrouping, you know, uh, spending some time with God, recharging. And so now he's coming back. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Okay, and then some men come. This is the one bringing the paralyzed man. Um, And they carried, four of them carried him. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and lowered that mat that the man was laying on. So get this picture. Jesus is in there teaching in this house. And all of a sudden you start hearing this scratching and clawing and stuff going on. And maybe, you know, the thatched roofs that they had back then were just basically mud and clay and sticks and all this stuff. And I imagine all that stuff starting to come down on top of Jesus. And he's still just teaching, you know. And then all of a sudden, boom, a hole breaks, breaks open. And, and, and it's got to be a pretty big hole. So it's got to be a pretty big mess now on the floor. And they drop this dude... I imagine with four pulleys or something. They dropped this dude right down in front of Jesus. And then we'll continue with the text. Jesus saw their faith and he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? But he was, they were thinking it. But immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mats and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he, so he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. The man got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Now, your Bible may have sections. I'm not sure. I didn't even look at the ones that we've got up here. But your Bible may have sections, and it may say uh, Jesus heals paralyzed man or Jesus forgives sin. But I think that the, um, that the title of that section should be uh, our next blank on our outline. Uh, Jesus is now showing his authority over sin. He's showing his authority over sin. So I want to set up the scene here a little bit. So you've got the house. Uh, where Jesus is teaching, four walls, roof with now a hole in it, bunch of people crowding the doors, crowding the windows. They're so packed that you can't get in to see Jesus. And then you've got some people there. You've got Jesus, the paralytic, 
You've got the friends, you've got the crowd, and you've got the Pharisees. And before we, before we move past that, I, I want to just ask a question. And I don't want specific examples, but just what is sin? Putting yourself first. Okay. What is it? Okay. Okay. I'm sorry? Anything short of perfect. Very good. Okay. Um, yeah, all these are right. It's, it's basically, in a nutshell, breaking God's law, turning away from God, short of perfect, putting yourself first. I had an old uh, pastor of mine tell me, he gave the example that, that sin was an archery term. And uh, sin was missing the mark. And while that's accurate, it's not necessarily the full picture of what sin is. Because that assumes that we're looking at God's righteousness as the target. But a lot of times we don't even do that. Romans 3, 10 through 18 says this of sinners. And it's kind of a little bit more encompassing. This isn't going to be on the screen behind me, but just listen. It says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. Now, all these are apart from God. All have turned away. They've all become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So rather than, than taking the righteousness of God and aiming at that bullseye, basically what we do is we turn our backs on the target and we just pick our own pursuits whatever they are and we're just shooting we're shooting arrows all over the place it's not a it's not as simple as just barely missing the target it's it's picking things that are apart from God's will and apart for God's best from you and just firing at will that's sin and so what's the, the next question then I guess is what is um, what keeps us it's kind of a Obvious question, maybe. What keeps us from inheriting the kingdom both here and hereafter? Selfishness and pride. Anyone? Sin. Sin? Yeah. Selfishness and pride of which fall in that camp. But it's not just sin, but it's unforgiven sin because we all sin, right? Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death, correct. But there's also good news on the backside of that verse. And basically it says that Christ came to buy us back, to purchase us back from the penalty of sin. That through his perfect life and his burial and his resurrection, that we can have our debt paid. A debt that we can't repay, that we've fully earned. It's a... Uh, you know, it says the wages of sin is death. The wage is something that we earn. And the wages of sin is death. Something that we earn for our sin is death. This was Christ's message of hope. That I have come to earth and I have dominion over sin. And I'm going to tell you now, but I'm going to show you later. So Jesus is continuing to exercise his authority. Like I said before, he's, he's exercised his authority over disease, demons. And in his teaching, now he's exercising it over sin. Authority comes from the word author. 
comes from the word author. An author is the one that's a maker or creator of anything. Most, most of us think in terms of a writer of a book or a story. Um, but it's also like, it could be uh, a senator or whatever, whoever writes bills. Could be an author of a bill. It's got his name on it. He has authority over it. He can put anything he wants to into it. Doesn't necessarily pass. But anyway, he does have authority over that. So we can, uh, the author of, the, of a book, for, for instance, or the author of a bill has the final say in what goes into it. So we, the creation, have God's name on us. As created beings, we have God's name on us. And he, the authority, has dominion over us. The words on a page or a mere reader of a book has no authority to change the words. And the simple fact that we don't acknowledge the authority, if we don't acknowledge God's authority, doesn't really make any difference as to whether he has it or not. The old adage of, I don't even think it's an adage, but the old example of going to Mexico, when we we used to drive down to Mexico to do whatever, they'd say, make sure you don't have any bullets in your car. Because having a bullet in your car constituted going to a Mexican jail, and Mexican jail was just whatever. It didn't matter if we thought that rule was stupid, or it didn't matter if we didn't recognize the authority. When we pulled into Mexico and we had a bullet, we could go to Mexican jail. So anyway, let's wrap that up. A few days later, when Jesus again (laughs) entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So Jesus is back in town. Point one on the outline is this. Crowds do not necessarily measure the spiritual effectiveness of of a ministry. A crowd is not a sign of a successful ministry. When we started ANC, the first Sunday that we got together as a group, we we served. We went and we collected food for uh, Capillaria Food Bank. The next Sunday, however, we gave away Salt Lake Barbecue. Guess, guess which one had more in attendance? I mean, so a, a crowd doesn't necessarily reflect the effectiveness of, of a successful ministry. People were there to hear him preach, to hear him, uh, to see him cast out demons, to, to see him uh, heal uh, people with sickness and, and all types of affirmities. In the case, in, in this case, in Mark 1, Jesus had to get away from the crowd. Because no doubt the whole thing, the healing, the preaching, all that stuff, the stuff he was pouring out into people was taking its toll. Not to mention the fact that he was uh, under the scrutiny of all the religious leaders. All the Pharisees were watching every move he made, every word he said. That just becomes weighing. So he got away and spent some time with the Father. And then then he's coming back. That's That's why God tells us to have a Sabbath. So that we can recharge. So that we can get away from the crowd. And we can spend some time alone with him. So the word got out that Jesus had shown back in town and this crowd showing up. And uh, I just uh, let me let me move on to point two. Um, Point two is this. It's actually a question. And we've got a couple of questions coming up. Are we a hindrance to those who need Jesus? Have you ever really stopped to think about all the people that we know that need Jesus? All the people that we know who are lost and yet, for whatever reason, um, they're not coming. Uh, something, something's happened. There's, there's, there's definite good news. We know it. We're carrying it. Uh, we, are, we are God's workmen. He's put us in charge of carrying good news and being good news. Yet people aren't coming. 
I, I ask myself, what's the problem here? I submit it's not the message. I, I think it's got to be something with us. Jesus brings a message of good news with forgiveness of sin. And it's open to anyone who will re- believe and repent. So I, I, I'm asking myself, where's the breakdown? Are we a hindrance to those who need Jesus? Are we the crowd? Next blank is, are we the crowd? They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. The crowd at the house where Jesus was teaching was so thick that the doors and the windows were blocked. There wasn't even a way that they could get this paralytic man in to see Jesus because everybody was so packed in and peering and looking and and just gawking at what was going on. Probably to see Jesus do something awesome. But it was, you know, crowd mentality, I guess. We're all concerned with not losing our spot. I don't know, you've seen the stuff where people go to these soccer games over in Europe and thousands of people get trampled after the soccer matches just by a huge crowd moving one direction or another or concerts coming out. You've seen, you've seen, heard story, or Black Friday at Walmart. I mean, you see craziness go on on Black Friday. Just kind of that crowd mentality. Crowds are huge. They're huge groups of people, but usually they only care about themselves individually. Imagine, if you will, there was a guy here in Austin who could cure cancer. He had the cure, just plain and simple, nothing fancy. It didn't matter what stage of cancer you had. It didn't matter your ability to pay. It didn't, because it, it, it was free. He's giving it away free to everybody. Everybody gets cured of cancer. I, I just imagine what I-35 would look like. I imagine what the airports would look like and the hotels would be at 100% occupancy all the time. People would be flying here. If they couldn't get here, they'd fly to Houston or San Antonio and drive if they could. But if the rental cars were gone, they'd probably walk if they could get to Austin for this cure of cancer. The crowd would probably become so overwhelming in this town that we would, after we were cured, we would just hope he'd leave. Be honest with you. Are we part of the crowd? Or are we the Pharisees? That's another group. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who, who can forgive sins but God alone? Are we Pharisees? Are we quick to judge the motive of God? Do we let our religion get in the way Of others coming to Jesus. Are we so bogged down in the minutia of the rules. Some of which we've made up. Church. Arbitrarily. So that we appear. To have it all together. People have encountered. I would, I would say people have encountered Pharisees for so long. Out of the church. That the, the Pharisees have left such a bad taste in their mouth. We've lost the ability to communicate good news and be good news. You see, what's funny about this to me is that Jesus probably had more in common with Pharisees than he did with any other people group. He had more in common with them. He knew they they knew the Bible. They had all the same information. But the Pharisees had come to the wrong conclusions and developed a belief system in opposition to the gospel. Isn't it frustrating when you're discussing a topic with somebody and, and you kind of find yourself at odds with them? 
You, you agree with them uh, in theory, but disagree in practice. And that's just so, that's frustrating to me. I think this is kind of where Jesus was with the Pharisees. We like people who are like us, right? I mean, we like, we like people who watch the same movies, who listen to the same music, who like the same food, whose kids go to the same schools, play on the same teams, who have the same affiliations politically or whatever. We like people like us. That tends to be the ones we hang around with most. But I'll say if you add a religious element to all that, boom, Pharisee. But God, God likes, no, he loves people different than him. He loves people. He really has no choice if he's to love anyone at all. Because he has only people unlike him in every way. In our nature and by our choice. He chooses to love people different. He chooses to be uncomfortable and break through the tension of language, culture, status, and economic barriers. And he became like us to restore us. And that's our our call as followers of Christ, to choose to love people unlike us, to reach those unlike us with the message of good news, to reach beyond the barriers that the world's put in place and look beyond our differences. In this, we honor God as we live in a manner worthy of the gospel. See, Pharisee means separated one. They believed we are clean, they are unclean. We can't be near them or it might rub off on us pharisees would would not even eat with anybody who had eaten with somebody that was unclean it's kind of a degree of separation there but they wouldn't even if they were known to have eaten with somebody they wouldn't even eat with the person that ate with somebody that was unclean they make up this is true of religious people they make up extra rules have we boiled our faith down to rules just go to church and don't cuss. That's, that's not faith. Are we Pharisees? See, do we have faith that Jesus can, can heal broken people? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Listen to this. When he saw their faith, when he saw their faith, the faith of the four, the faith of the one coming down from the ceiling, He said, son, your sins are forgiven. Faith is active. Jesus was able to see it in these men. James 2 tells us that faith without works is dead. If someone can't see our faith, it's dead. Faith isn't something that we keep to ourselves. It must be lived out. This is one thing that I'm so uh, excited about and so awed by the church that I get to serve at is because I see examples of this all the time. People living out their faith. It starts as simple as love your neighbor, serve your city. You hear that? That's kind of our mantra. But then it gets a little bit more personal and progresses to caring for kids without dads. It manifests itself by sponsoring orphans or homeless seniors or going to places like Haiti, Peru, China. And I've never seen a better example of this as I've seen in adoption. See, we got a lot of people here that have adopted or in the process of adopting or fostering kids. So many people at ANC caring for the orphan, grafting them into their own lives and making them sons and daughters. Faith in action requires God to come through. It totally does. 
If he doesn't, we'll be crippled under the weight of it. And that and the gravity of the situation. Faith in action requires God to hold up his end of the deal because if he doesn't, we'll be ruined. Are we living there? Honestly, I'm a hedger. I live pretty out there, but just in case God doesn't come through, I've, I've kind of got a contingency plan. There are times when I'm completely exposed. I've been that way in my walk. And He sustains me. And through His grace and power, I desire that. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to be. But there's just, ah, something's always... God knows me, though, you know? He's got to give me that grace. He's got he's to give me the ability... To live out there. And he knows that. And I pray for that. When Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralyzed man. Son your sins are forgiven. That part of the story. I've always gone. Huh? Because. Imagine you're these four guys now. Alright. And you've decided. We're going to take our paralyzed friend. To see Jesus. Because he's going to heal him. He's going to make him walk. And now there's this huge crowd at the door. And around the windows everywhere. We can't even get in there. Well, now we're going to climb up to the roof. Pull him up there. Bust up the thing. We've been working for hours now. Getting him here. Lowering him down. We drop him down. We're looking down the hole. And Jesus goes, son, your sins are forgiven. They're like, whoa, 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 Jesus. Hang on now. We want him to walk. You know, that's the point is we brought him here for healing. And Jesus, Jesus knows the man. Jesus saw the man. He probably knew the years his whole life. He had known this man bore the shame of having to rely on everybody for everything. Uh, he couldn't walk. He couldn't, he couldn't act as a normal person. He couldn't hold a job. He, all, he would, all he would do was beg. And Jesus knew this man needed to be healed. Yes. But he knew that if he healed the man a week, maybe a month later, he'd still need his sins forgiven. So Jesus went there first. He went there first because that's our primary need in life is to have our sins forgiven. You know, the story, that's the, what's great about that story is because I don't think it was just for that man because it's for us 2,000 years later. Makes us scratch our heads and go, what? Why did he forgive the man's sins? Because he knew that. He knew what our primary need was. Being 100% whole physically, we can still be 0% whole spiritually. Do we, do we have faith that God can heal the broken? Number three on your outline is this. It's, it is easier to tell a man to get up and walk than it is to forgive sin. It's easier to tell a man to get up and walk than it is to forgive sin. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to a paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? Jesus had healed many, according to Mark 1. We, we talked about that. But this is the first time he's actually forgiven sins. Jesus, at his command, could heal the sick. Just a touch from Jesus could heal you completely. Just a touch. We'll read in Mark 5 later. Just a woman touching his garment who had faith was healed immediately. He could do this all day long because he's the author of life. But he knew that he could forgive sin also and he knew where that was going to take him. 
knew it would take him to the cross. He knew that he was born to walk a sinless life. To be the perfect Lamb of God and to die as a sacrifice for an unholy people. For me. And you. So it's easier for Jesus to walk and administer healing than it is for him to bear the sin past, present, and future of the entire world. But he does it because he loves us. And I think this is the last point. Is this right? Yeah? God the offended. God the offended is the only one who can forgive sins. I want to call this little section my lesson from a Pharisee. There's not too many lessons we need to take from Pharisees other than to tick off Jesus. But this one we can take to the bank. In their efforts to trap Jesus, they said to each other, no one can forgive sin but God and they're right. God has given us commandments. He's even written them on our hearts. And God has commanded us not to do things and we do them anyway. And He's the offended party. Therefore, He's the only one that can forgive sins. How crazy is it if you saw a friend, two of your friends, one friend offends the other, and to you, for you to apologize on behalf of that friend. It's just hollow. There's nothing to it. Only the offended can forgive sin. Lying, no matter who it's to, is a sin against God. Adultery, sin against God, ultimately. Idols, worshiping idols, sin against God. Isaiah 43.25 says, Nothing is more offensive to God than sin because He is holy. Jesus said it, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. So the question I, I think we all need to ask ourselves today is, are, we, are people that I know coming to know Jesus? Are they moving closer ever so slightly to Jesus Are they believing that Jesus is the answer to sin, the sin problem that we all have? Is my life giving off that sweet aroma of Christ by my actions and by my words and by my deeds? Do my deeds match my creed? Is my faith visible? Is there something in my life that others can see and be drawn to Jesus? We talk about this in the Tangible Kingdom Primer, which is a spiritual development tool that we use here at ANC, but imagine, if you will, a, a line from zero t- negative 10 to 10, and zero is when a person steps into relationship with Christ. Negative 10 is the ultimate atheist, okay? Just picture that, if you will. If we can somehow represent Christ to that atheist out here on negative 10, and we move, or he has moved from a negative 10 to a negative 9. Now, he's not to zero yet. He's not ready either intellectually, just capable, whatever. He's not, he's not ready to take that step. But if we've moved, from, moved him from a negative 10 to a negative 9, he's closer. The hindrance, on the other hand, just does, the, does just the opposite. With his kind of nothing to show for it faith, kind of faith and word only, negativity, judgment, Harshness and piety. He's just doing damage. He's driving that man at a negative 10 even deeper just into his conviction that he's right about people because if these people believed in a God of love, they wouldn't act the way that they do. Uh, 
Am I living intentionally on mission with Christ? Am I authentic in my journey so that others can see and relate to and desire what I have? Or have I been a hindrance to the kingdom advancing in others' lives? If so, what can I do about it? Today, I just want to do one thing, and and this is, um, I want us all to just kind of inventory where we are on our own journey. Who am I? Am I part of the crowd? Have I just been showing up and clogging up the doorways and windows? What's my posture toward people in the greatest need? Do I even recognize need when I see it? And if so, do I engage need? Or am I a Pharisee? Do I live a life so separated from those that Jesus has called us to reach out to because they're different? Or am I entrenched in rules that seem unreasonable to someone who's searching? How's my faith in God's ability to heal the broken? Does He still do that? Or did He just do it in me? Or possibly, we might have somebody that feels like I'm the man on the mat with apparent outward needs possibly maybe your marriage is falling apart possibly you're in financial ruin your life's a mess your kids are oh don't want to talk about the kids maybe you've got an addiction of some sort you've lost your job maybe you came today as a last ditch effort To find some sort of peace in the chaos. Maybe despite everything that you've encountered along your journey. You're just laying there on your mat. And you need Jesus to give you new life. And new hope. A new purpose. Maybe you need him to restore you so you can walk again. And I'm not talking church. I'm not talking religion. I'm not talking rules. I'm talking Jesus here. I don't know. Maybe the author of life just wants the opportunity to give you what he's dreamed for you. We sang the song last week. It's new to us, but the words are awesome. God's love is greater than we dare to hope or dream. The invitation's always there. God will save anyone and everyone. We don't have to, we don't have, to ever have everything all together. No doubt the man on the mat didn't have everything together. I didn't have everything together. Still don't. But God knows our hearts and he invites us into relationship because he wants us to know his heart. Let's pray. 